Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Me, 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 me. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> we're back. We're black. We're brown ambition. So normally you guys don't hear the warm up that I do, but you know, Callie, you can leave that in because I need people to understand that these vocals don't come easy. Hey, I got Mantra. it. <laughs> How does a podcast hosted by two POCs from New York and New Jersey make it to the top of the Spotify list? <laughs> Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, you can hold it back. You can hold it back, Sandra. Yeah, I, I had to. I had. To, I, I bailed. I bailed too soon. I got scared of my own talent. Um, the pressure don't to freestyle. Yes. Yeah, you know. Don't. Don't let it. You have to just let that loose. It's in you. It is in me. Like so many people, I just spent my. Uh, what are we calling this? The fifteenth day after Juneteenth holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I just spent that watching Hamilton on repeat. And genuinely, I know, Tiffany, you haven't seen Hamilton. What's your excuse now, my friend? I don't know. I'm not much of a TV watcher. I don't understand the premise. (laughs) No, no, I've heard the premise of Hamilton. TV? Do you mean like, but everyone watches on their computer now, and I don't really consider it. Well, actually, we watch on our actual television, but it's like... Netflix and Disney Plus. Are they really TV? Yeah, I don't know. I don't say, I just don't, I just have not really gotten into like my husband loves like movies and shows and things like that. I just it's rare for like a show or a movie or whatever to hold my interest very long these days. I don't know. So I just it is was two like two hours and forty minutes. But you never let know. Me... I might I might take to it like I did with Kimmy Kimmy Schmidt. I love that. Oh, you like yourself some Titus? Titus oh Burgess. Hey Titus, okay. fellow UGA grad. Love you. <laughs> I and he also retweeted our rename Grady campaign. Thanks, Mr. Ooh, Tolles, oh, but listen, famous. I have to talk about Hamilton and hopefully this will encourage you to watch it because whether or not you are a Broadway fan, a history fan, a musical fan, story, hip hop fan, whatever, I think Hamilton became such a cultural touchstone when it was premiered on Broadway or when it premiered on Broadway uh, four or five years ago. And it was the defining piece of artwork for, I think, a generation. And it's going to become what Camelot was to the Kennedys, where Hamilton is the Obama administration. Everyone's going to remember the time of Obama and Hamilton. And it is, for those of you who have been sleeping under a rock or just, you know, (laughs) avoiding it like Tiffany and my little brother, 
Hamilton is a musical based on the life of Alexander Hamilton and our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson and others who fought in the Revolutionary War and wrote our Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, how our nation was founded. And the fact that it was founded by, and one of the founders, Alexander Hamilton, like a lot of people, all I knew about him was that he was killed in a duel and that seemed really dumb. And Lin-Manuel Miranda, who grew up in Washington Heights in New York, he is Puerto Rican. His parents immigrated here from the island before he was born. And hip-hop was really, uh, you know, like in the Heights, I mean, hip-hop was just instrumental to his growing up. And he also became a Broadway nerd. And he he really mashed those two things together when he created Hamilton. He's won the Pulitzer. He's been named a MacArthur genius. This was a phenomenon, like people in middle America knew about a show that they couldn't even see in New York City. And now it's all over the country, or at least it was before it became like too dangerous to go to theaters anymore, which is very sad to me. So now it has been released on Disney Plus as a film. They actually filmed Hamilton four years ago when they were just about, um, it was after the first year of their run on Broadway, and now it's available. And what's so fascinating about Hamilton is it was, for me, it was huge, like, Tiffany, if you've ever been to a Broadway show, you know the audience is usually very old, very white. And mm-hmm. I, I've i been going to shows. I mean, also the audience is very old and very white because it's very expensive to go to Broadway. I mean, we're talking about $200 for a show unless you really know, you know how to get cheap tickets. Um, and there's not very many ways to get like affordable tickets anymore, especially uh, there's so much demand for lotteries and things like that. So Broadway really is just inherent in the in the in the art form it is i think classist because it really keeps out people who are at lower income thresholds and cannot afford to see it and i only really began to be able to afford broadway like a few years ago and even then i had to save and it was a really a big moment for me to go to a show hamilton for me was so important and so huge is because the cast is largely people of color latino filipino black it features a hip-hop retelling of the founding of our nation. It is powerful. Mm. It is so powerful. If you are like me and you have been starved for stories on Broadway from people who look like us, I remember very specifically when I saw Nashville on Broadway, which is set, I think, in the 1960s, and it tells um, it tells the story of Motown, but through the lens of the artists who were performing in Nashville at the time. And it was beautiful. And there really haven't been that many more moments for me on Broadway. And then Hamilton comes around. And not only is the stage diverse, but the audience became more diverse because they came to see a play that featured people who look like them. And it was magical. What's happening now is now it's four years later. Now we're in this different context. Back then it was like, yeah, Trump was elected, but Hamilton came around 2015, 2016 before Trump was elected. It was still the good old years, you know, with Obama in power. And Hamilton seemed to embolize everything that, you know, the Obamas stood for. And they were very supportive of the play and saw it a million times. But now we're in 2020. We've got the backdrop, Black Lives Matter movement, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Elijah McCain, all of these, you know, and and the list goes on and on. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. And Hamilton was universally beloved. At least it felt that way when it first came out. But what we're seeing now is... People like my brother, for example, have watched Hamilton and he's never seen it before. And he, you know, he didn't, he was like, oh, it seems really overhyped. I'm not trying to like just jump on any bandwagon, but I begged him, begged him, begged him to watch it because I was really interested to hear his opinion. He's a very, he's a tough critic. He loves hip hop. He actually performs and uh, writes songs and raps himself. 
Um, of course he does. Yes, his uh, stage name is Rain. Uh, no, Rain. <laughs> Rain. I'm, I'm very proud. He's writing music right now. New music. Look out, Rain DTB on SoundCloud. But I wanted to get his opinion. He's young. He's very entrenched in what's going on in Atlanta with the BLM movement and politics and all of that. You know what? He hated it. He really? hated Hamilton. And he had one very specific reason why. He said, of all the stories you can tell with that many black and brown artists and hip hop itself, the art form that was founded by black poets, artists, um, freestylers, uh, spoken word artists, like in the sound box, like how, how do you take that art form and then use it to lift up the stories of white men who played such a massive role in proliferating slavery at the founding of our nation? And he just couldn't get beyond that. He mm. couldn't get beyond the fact that he was his, his you know, hip hop, which he loves, was being used to tell the stories of these white guys who own slaves. And yes, Hamilton mentions slaves in a couple of, um, it mentions the fact that Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. It mentions the fact that George Washington actually does it. I'm not really, I don't remember if it mentions Washington's, the Washington, the fact that he owned slaves uh, until his death. He emancipated his slaves in his will. So generous of him. <laughs> Wait until I don't need you anymore and then y'all can get out of here. So he really took issue with that. And he's not the only one. People are really critically looking at Hamilton. And, you know, my little brother was like, it just kind of felt like the Obama version of a hip hop musical. And oh, it hurts my heart that he's so cynical about Obama. I'm going to I'm going to help him get to the other <laughs> side. But, you know, a lot of people criticize Obama. Did he do enough for black Americans? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't he have done more for criminal justice reform? Shouldn't he have done this or that? Wasn't like he the pressure is so real. The first black president, he was never going to be good enough. And he was damn near perfect, you know, in everything he did. This same thing is happening to Hamilton, I think. It is one of it is such a huge cultural touchstone. It's all these black and brown actors, singers, dancers written by a Puerto Rican composer. It's, you know, about an immigrant story at its heart. And people are just kind of, they're really tearing it apart. They're wanting, they're wanting these founding fathers heads on a spike. And I completely see it. But um, it's just a very, it's a very interesting debate right now. And I'm actually, it makes me like, in a strange way, it makes me like Hamilton more. <laughs> <laughs> because also too, I mean, I think it's art. It's meant to be debated. It's meant to be torn apart and looked at and put back together and torn apart and looked at. So I think that all yeah. the opinions are valid. I think that would we be talking about Hamilton had he not done a hip hop story about the founding fathers? No. If he had done a hip hop a musical about the start of hip hop. I mean, you know what I mean? So it's almost like the thing you criticize is also the reason why you're able to criticize it. So, yes. you know, I just feel like it's art. It's meant to be. You know, we're not talking about, you know, I don't know. Like, it, art is is subjective. And, and so, you know, it's meant to be critically looked at. And especially because there's some things like, for example, like, I mean, even though it's not the same as Hamilton, but thinking about, like, I used to love um, Martin, the show. But if I were to watch it now, oh, I'd no. cringe. Well, you can cringe because some of the jokes you're like, is it really misogynistic? Well. Yeah. Like, mm. so, and that's, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, things that were okay then are not necessarily okay now. The, it, certain things don't age well. Some things stand the test of time. And I think it is what it is. I think that, you know, um, I don't think that anyone can dismantle, you know, what Hamilton brought to the table. I think that, you know, that this only also puts Hamilton 
cements its place in history in these types of conversations. So, so now you're making me curious to watch it. So I shall. I'd love to hear um, what you think about it. Just anyone who hasn't seen it yet. And it, it's very different. I mean, I, it's, a, it's a beautiful experience on the screen. In fact, it's the best seat in the house. We weren't even that close to the stage. They have mm. the angles. It feels cinematic. It's beautiful. But I'm very curious to hear your thoughts because I did see it in 2016 and now I'm seeing it today. I still love it. And I you don't take anything away from Lin-Manuel Miranda. He is a Latino man who has been through his own grit and determination and his talent has clawed his way to the top and has taken people with him. He has catapulted the careers of so many Mm -hmm. unknown Broadway actors, rappers, actresses, people who had been Broadway stars but hadn't crossed over yet because there just weren't enough opportunities for them to share their talents in meaningful roles on Broadway. And he gave them... They, he gave them a voice in the musical that he didn't have to give them a voice in. No one would have said, oh, hey, Alexander Hamilton play? Okay, cool. Everyone's white? Yeah, sounds about right. But he forced the cat. He, he did colorblind casting. And, he, you know, he says he had to, one, because those are the people that he knows. And also because he's doing a rap hip-hop musical. So what's he going to do? Like, how can he cast? It would just be ridiculous to yeah. cast anyone other than an artist who can be true to that art form. And that is what I've been advocating for, you know, the past couple of shows, just talking about how if you're given a piece of power, do your best to make things a little bit better, you know, than what you found it. Maybe you like you're no sure he could have done a better job, you know, ripping apart these characters um, for the role that they played in the slave trade and how they fought for freedom and liberties that did not apply to everyone, despite the words in their own constitution. Um, but he forced us to look at it through the lens of black and brown voices. And it almost to me, it is a huge middle finger to the founding fathers because like, screw you guys. Look at us now. We are here. Be- thank you for this nation. We're taking it back now. We are at the center of the story, even though you would have preferred that we were in the background the whole time. We are in this. We're, we're taking back the narrative. That's one of the key lines from mm. Hamilton. I'm trying not to get too on my soapbox about it because I am pretty... <clears throat> it's it's in my blood, this, this show and the, it, the themes in it. But we're taking back the narrative. It's in our hands. Who lives? Who dies? Who tells our story? We do. We can. And if you don't like the way someone tells it, you, you can, mm-hmm. his success means that someone else who looks like him or someone different will have an easier time telling their story. Okay, no. I'm done. I promise. <laughs> no more songs. I mean, maybe a little bit. <laughs> Well, speaking of artists in hip-hop, I'm just going to say it, and then we're going to leave it and run away, okay? Okay, say it. I'm ready. I know what you're going to (laughs) say. So Kanye Amari West tweeted that he is running for president, which is not feasible or possible because he did not do the uh, proper filings to do so. So Mm. I don't know why he tweeted this. Attention. That's not true. I do know why. Attention. Yeah. I can um, give you a couple of reasons why. Uh, Gap <laughs> partnership, uh, new album coming out or new mm-hmm. music he's promoting. Uh, yeah. Attention. He, he, Just, yeah. You so. know, all the, the the dead black bodies and our ridiculous president we're just taking and the pandemic, we're just taking a little bit too much too breathing much. room. So Kanye needed to like ease on in there to Twitter yes. and take a little piece of that spotlight away. Yeah. Yes. So just we've said it. He's, you know, he's not obviously running. So but it was just very Kanye. Um, very Kanye. Yes. And very I, Kanye. I, Speaking of Kanye, I actually did like so. Um, 
I did a, like a, someone said it was a rant, but whatever. I did like a, I put it on my IG, IG TV uh, stories. No, I don't know what they call it. I guess IGTV channel. Anyway, but where I talked about race and, um, and finance. And it's so funny because one of the companies that I was like mentioning, they actually emailed me today. To think this about. was recent. I missed a Tiffany rant. <laughs> where can I, is it, t- can I DVR? How do you, <laughs> so I'm wearing like what looks to be like, I guess an African S top and I have a high ponytail. That's all you know. So you know African-esque. how African-esque, like, come on now. Well, yeah, because it's not really African, but it looks, I mean, it was just a dress that my sister lent me because I had done something else earlier that day. It's like pink and pink and black. So okay. if you go to the Budgetista, you'll look in my, it literally, it's called Let's Talk About Race and Money. Um, you know, like when you can watch IGTV, you can, it's like these little buttons on the top of your pictures. It's like yes. you can look at someone's feed, you could do IGTV, or you can look to see how many people have tagged you in the thing. So anyway, it's on my IGTV and it's, it's called, let's talk about race and money. And so we talk about race and money. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to, cause I was just thinking about, we were talking about, uh, race and money because, oh, you know why it came up? Because someone who interviewed and asked me this, it was maybe Forbes or CNBC. Somebody asked me, did I think that they had been interviewing some financial educators and experts or whatever, some of whom believe that race and money should not be talked about together as two separate things. Like, for example, <laughs> someone told me, I've not heard this to be true, but someone told me that Dave Ramsey said, money is not black or white, it's green, that there's no place for race and money. And I'm like, well, oh, how white of you? That's so cute that you can live like that. What the hell is he talking about if he said that? Because that's just not, mm, yeah. So not only is there a gender gap, there's a, it's exacerbated by your race. Um, it's, you know, how much you make, how much you spend. Like my my home, owner's insurance is influenced by where I live um, because of the race of people that live here. Um, we'll talk about later on in the show about, you know, we've already talked about appraisals, but we have like this like update to talk about that. I mean, uh, I cannot personally separate my race from the way I have to navigate with my money. I mean, that's the definition of privilege. I mean, literally, I mean, I not have to do that. I would love to not do that. I mean, what I would love to be like, Hey, nobody cares about what color you are. If this is how much you make, because this is what you're owed, you know, and this is how much you, you, this thing costs because that's just how much it costs. I don't have the privilege of being able to separate the two. So when she told me that a bunch of financial educators you know, that she'd interviewed, um, like I said, I can't remember what it was like Forbes or time or something like that. I was like, yeah, I can almost guarantee you what they look like. Um, because they don't have to consider that, you know, I don't, I don't have irresponsible reporting. If those are the sources you're going to use in a story like this. No. Well, I think that she wanted, the story was about race and finance and to see what do financial educators think. So I think she wanted to pull out like, so what do you think, Tiffany? And I was like, I think I don't have a choice. You know, that's like saying, you know, separating, you know, my, my gender, you know, like there are certain things, it just, it's ingrained in the system. We know that women get paid less. I mean, should it be, can it be changed? Absolutely. But it's still a thing that I can't pull out, you know, like I would love to pull, pull that out, that I would love to know that as an influencer or an educator, or whatever, that I'm paid the same, despite the fact of me being a woman and then being a, me being a black woman on top of that. So I just thought that that was, so I did a whole because of that interview, and maybe it just put me in a state of mind to do like a, a talk and a rant. And you can certainly tune in and listen. Um, but I wanted to take like a veer to the left. So I wanted you actually, this is good, right? I want your advice, Mandra, because I feel like you are good with 
whether or not, because I tend to lean on not saying when something is not right. And I feel like you're more of a better gauge. So I used a service. Well, it was a product that I ordered, handmade, beautiful. But the young woman who is black, who was delivering these products to me, it has been challenging. Mm, um, everything has been that. lame. So much everything. pressure on black owned businesses. Oh, to I know. Be perfect. <laughs> Please so, do well. <laughs> I know. So everything has been late. Every, I mean, like mm. months late. And some of it was really timely. Like, well, I guess that birthday's not happening. You know, that kind of thing. And um, it's been monthly. And then two, there's no follow-up. Like if I don't follow up, I just guess I don't hear anything. Like literally every follow-up of like, hey, where's the thing I paid for? And I intentionally, like I don't take discounts from black women. So She'd offer me that, like, oh, my gosh, I love you, Bajanista. You know, I love what you're doing. I'll give you a discount. I said, thank you. But no, want to pay full, full price, just like everyone else, um, mm-hmm. because I'm also going to expect full service. And so um, that has not happened. So the, our, 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 our working relationship has coming to an end. Like, I'll finally get the final thing that I paid for soon, hopefully. Um, so I'm just wondering. I, I want to pull her side to have, like, a sister to sister. Hey, girl, hey. Um... Like business almost, you know, black business owner to black business owner. Here's some things mm-hmm. that, you know, here's some feedback so you can do better. Obviously, I'm not going to, I'm not dragging her on social or anything like that. Um, but I don't know, is it my place to, because we're not like, like if it was you, Mandy, we're friends. So I could be like, girl, seen a thing, telling you, you know, a thing. But someone, we're not, you know, we're not bosom buddies. We're not friends. You know, I was just a client and I do have some feedback and I would love to be able to give it to her. Like, you know, in a, you know, from like literally like black woman to black woman, business owner to business owner. But I'm not sure if it's appropriate if she has not asked, you know. Right. So when it made sense, I would say, hey, you know, checking in on the thing, I don't have it. Or, hey, this wasn't delivered in the way that I was expecting. So I've, I've given the basic feedback, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like that deeper I didn't ask you for all that feedback. Like, honestly, if you would do this, 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 and this, it would be better for your business. That kind of feedback. So like the other stuff, the surface feedback, I've already given. But the deeper feedback, what say you, Mandra? Is that appropriate? Is it appropriate? I don't know. Appropriate. I think it's generous of you. I think it is. Yeah, I'll use the word generous because at a time where people are so quick to shame people on the Internet before they give them a chance to respond you know, and I'm, I'm talking about Yelp reviews, Google reviews, when you go to a restaurant or you, you know, get a plumber that has poor workmanship and instead of going directly to them and giving them a chance to make things right, you go immediately and blast them on a review platform. I think it's very generous of you to give her that feedback one-to-one and very mature. Whether or not she receives it is up to her. Whether or not she takes it and is gracious about it is up to her. That's why I'm like, get your goods first and then give the <laughs> feedback. So oh, you certainly, think I should? You think I should give the feedback, even if she hasn't asked for it? I think you should, if you want to. Do I okay. think it's your responsibility? No, I think that her poor management of her business will be the lesson that she needs in terms of you know whether or not she'll succeed. But that's why I'm I'm saying it's generous of you, and and I and I I also think that you're in a you're in a position where I mean you've talked on the show about how you've had your fairy godmothers who have given you advice yeah. when you didn't ask for it, or even when you did ask for it. And, you know, maybe you could be that for someone else, but they need to be ready to receive it. And I can't, and because you don't know her, you can't speak to her maturity and she may take it as an insult. Yeah. But if she's smart and mature, she will say, wow, this person has poured into me a little bit of knowledge. I just don't, I mean, based on the fact that she hasn't owned up to her own poor business (laughs) management, I would err on this. I kind of feel like maybe she's not so mature. 
But she's, if, what kind of product is it? Like an artistic product or like a uh, numbers and finance type of, I mean, like a, a I say I artistic know. just because I want to keep it artistic. light because I feel like enough people follow me that they're like, what? That, yeah, art, yeah. You know, artists who run their own business, that's problematic. But I also feel like they're often in a position where they want to focus on the art and the business side of things. Maybe they don't have the resources to handle it. So I think it's very generous and and, and nice of you to offer that feedback. And yeah. to not have made a big stink about it so far. Yeah, you because know? I guess like it's art. Here's the thing: the finished product, beautiful. That's not the mm-hmm. issue. The art itself is amazing. But yeah, yeah. I just it's like oh, I'm like I want to see you win, sis. And the thing it's so crazy. People have been asking me about the final artistic, like you know, to be super general. And yeah. I can't say, hey, go ahead and support because honestly, I'm pretty sure they're not going to get their thing in time. It's not going to, yeah. you know what I mean? I just, because a, a number of people have asked and I'm like, oh, well, uh, uh, I don't know if this person is taking on other commissions or whatever, even though I'm sure that she is, you know, because I don't want someone to come to me like that. Hail Tiffany, I ordered it and it's like four months later and I'm like, ah. You know, yeah, the so, Lisa test, right? Would you tell Lisa about their business? I would, but with the full disclosure of like, <laughs> yeah, girl. Don't so. bank on it. Yeah, like she's you'll crazy. you'll get it because, she, I mean, she's not dishonest or anything. You'll get it. But if you're needing it in the time frame that's been allotted, I mean, I'm 99% sure you're not going to get it. Not even remotely. Like mm. months after, you know, where it's, it's almost like not valid anymore if you're needing it for a specific time frame. So at yeah, a so time... Sorry to interrupt. At a time when it feels like people are finally, but people besides black and brown people are looking on for ways that they can support black and brown owned businesses. And I've seen listicles of all kinds, you know, where can we support local businesses in our neighborhood owned by um, people of color, et cetera. It sucks when you're the, it sucks that we can't, we don't get a break to be mediocre. And I'm glad that you're the one who's, who's going to be giving her this, this, this That's feedback because I guarantee you if a white lady in this yeah. moms of whatever, you know, I'm in, I'm in my local moms of XYZ city Facebook group. Cause they, you know, it's a good, it's a good way to source recommendations for all kinds of stuff. And I know if one of those moms goes and, and works with a, the black-owned bakery for the first time and the, the cake order is messed up, they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt that, you know, a name brand bakery would. And also, you know, even if the even if the customer rightfully is like, I'm probably not going to order a cake from that place anymore and I'm just going to order from somewhere else, they're so few and far between that that somewhere else is probably not going to be black-owned. So it sucks on that end. Um, it really does. But at the same time, there's a lot... I think you giving her the advice is very generous and you should do it. Okay. Just don't be offended if she's like, okay, doesn't That's respond you to you or got it. <laughs> worse, you know, is very petty about it. Yes. No, you're right. So maybe that's what it is. It's just like, just manage my expectation that I'm going to give the advice and leave it and be like, okay, well, you know, she might be like, what? Or she might be like, thank you so much. I don't know. Like she's, like I said, she's been really pleasant and nice. Just. Yeah. She yeah. might thank you a couple years from now. Yes. She might be salty for now. <laughs> Is she going to cash that check, though? I bet you Yes. Oh, cha-woo-cha. Anything else for um for Buzzworthy? I think we can leave it there. Let's take a quick break, and we will be right back with some questions. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. 
Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Time for questions, boys and girls. We love your questions. I love your questions. Manja loves your questions. Y'all love your questions. Ask, ask, ask away. Mm. Well, mm, this is one of those reunion shows, I feel like, you know, when you used to watch Ricky Lake or Oprah. And it would be the episode where they'd be catching up with previous guests on the show. Yes. Yes. Where are they now? (laughs) We have, because a couple of our listeners who we answer questions for, I love when you guys give us an update. You know, did you get our feedback? Did it help? Did it hurt? Did you miss the show and you did it a different way? Uh, Follow up with us, especially those of you who have, you know, really important, big financial choices that you're asking us for insights on. So we have a couple of, let's, let's catch up with a couple of our listeners. So one of the few, one of the couple that reached out to us, let's see. So if you remember a few, a few shows ago, this woman, she reached out, she wanted to be anonymous and she asked us, you know, it's a pandemic right now. I'm up for a job and I know that I'm not being offered the same as someone else who's worked there before. Do I have, is it, is it okay for me to negotiate essentially? And you can guess our answer. It was very emphatically like, yes, ask what you're worth. So she reached out last week and she said, just wanted to give y'all an update. I was offered the position with more money and I still negotiated. My total raise was $10,000 in the middle of a pandemic. Can you believe it? All these exclamation points and uh, question marks. I couldn't thank y'all more for your advice. I love love it. it. Congrats to you, honey, because you, I mean, if, listen, a pandemic does, I, I, like we said on the show, I get that it makes it harder to recruit, to makes it harder for you to feel like, oh, you know, they're my only option. There's not much else out there, but it goes the other way, honey. Like it's hard for managers to recruit right now too, because they don't have the budgets to recruit and hire a whole new person. And this sounds like an internal promotion. It's probably a lot easier to give you a raise than it is for them to spend time and money going out there and recruiting a whole new hire who they're going to have to pay a lot more to poach. Um, so I think this is fabulous and I'm glad you stood up for yourself. Yes, that's awesome. I love hearing that. So just, there's no excuses. You know, if you deliver value and you're able to illustrate the value deliver, you know, there are coins available, but it might not be that particular company, but there's somebody has the coins for you. So go collect them. They belong to you. 1000%. Our next This isn't someone we answered a question for, but she was really touched by Tiffany. You know, you shared your story about the drama triangle. Yes. Oh, okay. And drama triangle, remind me again, this is is the 
this is the emotional pattern. Yes, that I enter into where it's like I'm the rescuer. I do all things. I do all things. Do all things to where I feel overwhelmed for someone, and then I become the victim. This person's taken advantage. They've taken advantage, and then I get to a point where I've had my fill full of victimhood, and then I become the persecutor. This person is terrible. So I enter into that triangle over and over in so many of my relationships, and. It's a pattern that I have that I'm observing and going to break if I want to do and be better. So that's well, the, yeah. Beautiful. Our listener from who sent us a message on the gram, Jacqueline, she says, thank you so much, Tiffany, for sharing about the drama triangle. I've been going through some issues with the family member for a while now. I've been learning how to set boundaries with her because I realize I never have. I always said yes to this person. Now she's reacting to me negatively because I am setting boundaries. I felt bad for doing this at first, but now this is a confirmation to me that I need to continue setting boundaries. Like you, I didn't know there was a name for it. So thank you. This has opened my eyes so much. Yay. That's good. So many of, if you find yourself to be like, you know, let's just say you would describe yourself as an overgiver. You know, and you find yourself tired all the time or feeling kind of taken advantage of, you likely are participating in the drama triangle. So do your Googles, you know, watch a video on it so you can be like, oh. So the key is I actually was talking to one of my friends about it today because she wanted to write this whole long letter to a cousin of hers because she felt super taken advantage of. So I was asking her to give me examples. And I said, she's like, well, I lent her my dress and my jewelry and this and this and this. I said, did she come to your room and take it? And she's like, no. I said, so when she didn't give you back her dress, did you lend her the necklace when you lent her the dress? No, necklace at a different time. I said, well, when she didn't give you back her dress and your necklace, when did you lend her the earrings? Oh, after that. So is she really a taker or just a receiver without, mm. you see what I mean? So I had to really look at myself and say, oh, a lot of what I am categorizing as this person is taking, unless they really did come and take these things from me, because some people are, are, you know, are like that malicious in their taking, or is this person just an endless receiver? Because we have people in our lives that are good at setting boundaries for themselves. So my husband, although I'm an Uber giver, he sets a boundary that says when Tiffany gets to here, I stop her. So that's why we have such a great relationship because he is not a bottomless pit of receiving, but a lot of people are, they're not taking, they're just like, well, Tiffany is an adult. If it's too much, she will stop. If she doesn't stop, I'll take, I'll keep taking or mm-hmm. I'll keep receiving. So it's like, oh, so I'm learning through business coaching, AKA, like, it's like, honestly, it's therapy is that not to, I one, if I'm not giving from the light, so you can give from the light side or give from the shadow side. Giving from the light side is when you're really just giving because giving brings you joy. Like when I do something for my nieces and my nephew, like, oh my gosh, I love doing stuff for them. I'm not expecting anything. Giving from the shadow side is giving with expectation or giving because you're worried about what that person will think or feel. So giving from a place of fear. And if you do that enough, you build up that resentment and then you become the victim You see what I mean? So I was like, oh, so I've actually been learning to say no. I literally have a list of like things that people are asking me to do and I'm writing no next to them so I can say no because I do so much, not because I actually want to do it, but because I'm afraid if I don't, what will they say? What will they think? Mm -hmm. That's not really giving. That's performative niceness. And I didn't I love recognize- that expression, you performative yes. niceness. And actually, I just made that up for myself because I, I don't know what my um, business coach called it. But he was like, you're not giving from a place of light. That's giving from a place of shadow, Tiffany. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm doing what's called, what I call performative niceness, where I strive to be a nice person 
Well, that's not true. I do, but I also strive to appear to be a nice person. You see the distinction? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, I want to be nice, of course, but I'm like, I really, really want people to think I'm nice. So even when I'm not feeling nice, I will act nice so people can be pleased with me. And it's a habit that I've learned. I, I, I mean, I can kind of like trace it back to like this time in like, Seventh grade when I just I had no friends and it was a miserable. Everything is traced to seventh grade. I mean, Jesus. If you dig deep enough, <laughs> yeah, I know. Just go on back to middle school. Skip what? the middle it was part. The just worst. go to middle school. <laughs> so I learned to be overly pleasing mm. yes. in middle school in an effort to make friends, and it worked. Tiffany, if you do people's homework, if you help them out, if you do this, if you do this, you're funny, you're this, all the things, and it was like, oh my gosh, I have friends again. And so I took that lesson, which worked then, and I've continued. To relive that over and over and over and over again, where I'm like, well, it's important that people think you're nice. It's important that people are happy with you, even if you are not wanting to do the thing. They cannot know you don't want to do the thing because then they're going to say, Tiffany is not nice. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm like, oh. And he said, so what's the worst thing if someone thinks that you're not nice? I'm like, I don't know. And so that's the, that's the question I have to answer for myself. So it, most people, if I say I can't do a thing, are fine. Most people are like, you know, hey, Mandy, can we tape on Tuesday instead of Wednesday? Sure. That's most people. There are going to be a handful of people who are going to be, you know what? No, I don't know. You know, but the truth is most people don't care. When I say no, you know, not no, like no, but like, oh, you know, unfortunately, I'm not able to participate in that in that webinar. Most people are like, oh, okay, well, thanks for considering so I'm like, this is what you're afraid of? The, oh, okay, thanks for considering. Like I said, I, it's something I'm trying, it's a pattern I'm trying to unlearn um, because I don't want to be performative nice because it's a miserable place to be because I find myself doing things that I really don't want to do because I'm afraid of what you'll think of or say. And I want to just be, because honestly, my regular Tiffany self is pretty nice, not I'm not 100% nice, but relativity self is a good 85% nice. It's like, it's okay for 15% to be like, I don't feel like doing it, <laughs> even if it's a good thing, because that's why I feel guilty. They're like, can you come speak to the homeless shelter in, in you know, New Brunswick? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't like slept a full eight hours in like three weeks. I'm tired. And so although New Brunswick homework shelter, homeless shelter is a good thing, I actually don't want to do it because I... For once, I want to sleep in, but I'll do it because I can't say no to the homeless shelter. I'm terrible if I don't. And then I get sick the next week. And then, you know, so it's not an easy thing. So I just, I encourage all of you super givers um, to really ask yourself, are you just performing your kindness and performing your niceness? Are you giving from a place of shadow or from a place of light? And you really want to make sure that when you are giving that, that, um, you're you're getting the return from the give. So meaning that like I'm if I'm doing something nice that I know like I'm like my friend was sick. So I sent them vitamins. So it's like there's this vitamin C that I really like. So I sent them vitamins and like so my return on that investment in sending them vitamins was I knew my friend was going to feel better. So if I'm waiting (laughs) right so I didn't need anything. So my friend ended up like like cash apping me money. And I was like, if you don't keep this money, so I sent it back. But if that was the reason why I sent the the vitamins, so that way they can then give me my money back, you know, you're looking for like your payout on the back end and you may or may not get it. And that's why you feel this sense, sense of like being used or taken advantage of, but that's not really true. So really giving with the sense of like the giving itself is the gift that I'm leading. That is the return on investment, the fact that you're giving in itself. So I'm practicing it. So 
for those, so this is a little exercise that we can all do together. And this is what Zion, my business coach said. So we're not changing the pattern right now. We are going to celebrate the awareness. So I have been, I'm just my regular Tiffany self still, but when it happens, I'm saying, hey, you are perfect. You are practicing performative niceness. Aware. Okay. So that's the first step. It's just as you're going through to say, to like put a, like a, a sticky note on it. Oh, you're doing it again. Oh, okay. And, but, but to celebrate the awareness, not to make yourself feel bad in the awareness. It's just, we're just, perf- that way you can start to notice your patterns and then I'll learn what's the next step. Cause I don't know. So right now I'm just being like, Oh, look at you doing it. Mm-hmm, girl, you know, you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm, okay. But we're celebrating it. Okay. Good job. We see you, Tiffany. And mm-hmm. so, like, yeah, the first, so. If you don't set boundaries, how do you know who your real friends are? Uh, that I don't. is my, I love <laughs> well, a, boundary. Mm, give me a boundary. That's what I'm just like, honestly, I'm, and what I've noticed, Mandy, is like you, there are prototype friends that I attract to me and you fit into one of the prototypes. So I've got prototype friends who are like, so I have like myself, like who are super, super givers, right? So that's like my husband, but he, he also there's another prototype that he feels and it's you. I love friends like you because it's like through you, I'm like, look at Mandy just over there saying no. And like still people like her. How does she manage? You know what I mean? Like I just, that's one of the things I love about you is that you're just like, yeah, no, that's not a fit. Or you know what? It doesn't feel right. Or, you know, I mean, I'm terrified of like people being like, hey, Tiffany, I don't know where that comes from, but like I, it's so I find myself seeking out. It's almost like maybe through osmosis, I can like get some of that Mandyism where you're like, you're pretty clear on yes to this, no to this, unapologetic. Like I didn't kick your puppy. So it's, you'll be fine. Or you know that you can tell me what it is and I won't, I won't hold you. Like I won't, if you, if you set a boundary yourself, I'll be cheering you on or I'll set one for you. <laughs> you exactly. Know? So, um, but the friends that I have who don't send, I have found this way because as a person who loves a boundary and I've done it for my own self-preservation, just unknowingly, listen, I'm also in real therapy. Um, not real. I didn't mean to say that. Real therapy. Like you're not in therapy. No, I know. I, no, I'm business not. therapy. Yeah. I'm in the uh, psychoanalyst <laughs> kind of therapy. But what I have found is I, I was a little insecure about all the boundaries I was setting. You know, is it keeping me from relationships that I might have? A, you know, because I leave jobs and I'm not the one who has 17 or, you know, 20 coworkers that they still catch up with. I maybe have one or two. And I've got friends of mine from previous jobs who will be friends with everyone from the old job and go to all their parties and their weddings and yada, yada. But I realized when I talk to that person about the parties or the get-togethers they go to, they're never happy about it. They're like, oh, I got dragged to this day party where they played music and I just like, I'm so tired. And they don't, they never seem joyful about the interactions they have with those friends. And I think, um, I think you're absolutely right. And I'm not, I don't have too much to add to it other than to say that I love a boundary and I 100% feel like just follow what is true to yourself and it will be in the right direction and have confidence in that. And I've only come to have confidence in my strategy for happiness, uh, I would say in the last couple of years. So I love it. And thank you for going back into it because the second time you told this story, I'm I'm feeling it more as a mother. Mm. That fact that I will say, I will put down my work, interrupt a conference call that I like I did today and go take the baby so that husband can have a sandwich 
Meanwhile, I'm glaring at him the whole time and turning off my video so I can glare at him properly and they don't see me and then muting myself so I can say nasty things to him while I'm holding the baby. <laughs> what if I just said, nah, brah, you hold the baby and eat a sandwich at the same time because mm. I do that all the time. Um, yeah, so you set yourself up for failure and, and that's a... No, I love that. We stand the boundaries queen, right? So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> So what else? Right. What are, with some other um, updates? Any other updates? Well, this is sort of a riff off of. So on a on a previous show, Tiffany, you shared an anecdote about how you felt like your home when you got it appraised. At the time, you were thinking about doing a cash out refinance, so you got your home appraised, and you felt that the appraisal came in lower than what the true value of the home was. And you, we talked about systemic racism and lending discrimination, and how what was the statistic that you shared about black homes being appraised? How much? On average, about tw- I think it was the New York Times said about 23% less. Right. And you were proof positive of that. What was interesting about your story is, you know, you were sharing it. And, and I'm going to own up to this. I was even thinking, oh, it wasn't that much less. Like, was she really discriminated against? Like, this is not as strong as my voice was at the time. But I had that little niggling doubt in my mind. And I think a lot of black and brown people, you question the reality that you're facing like you question what's that that's why they call it microaggressions like mm-hmm. what's that discrimination or I am i just too. overreacting yeah. i felt like that too i was like well it was like 10 20 000 is it and honestly i can honestly say i don't know um right. but i know the fact that i have to even consider that is a problem exactly you so know? there was a story that one of our listeners actually sent us on instagram where it was such a blatant what? Uh, example of discrimination and an appraisal, and it made me think of you, and it made me think, damn it, like, why did it take this really dramatic story for me to take Tiffany's story at face value? And that is something that, you know, I'm unpacking. But let me just read a quick, so this is only posted four days ago on Facebook, um, and it's been shared 23,000 times on Facebook. I think it was like 10,000 times by the time someone, that Instagram follower shared it with us. But this person on Instagram, or sorry, on Facebook, it's a public post for now, so I'll, I'll post uh, a link to our show notes. She says, on the topic of generation wealth, we needed to get our home appraised. The appraiser came by and he was immediately unpleasant, making one rude comment after another. He expressed exaggerated surprise when he saw me, a woman of color, working at my home office during the walkthrough. At the end of it, we received an appraisal result that was so low that it was laughable. We appraised lower than neighboring home sales with fewer bathrooms, fewer bedrooms, significantly lower square footage, and half the land. I knew immediately what needed to happen. We ordered a second appraisal and took down all family photos containing black relatives. We took down all pictures of African-American grades that we displayed to inspire our son. Zora Neale Hurston and Toni Morrison came down from the bookshelves. Shakespeare went up. My son and I took a convenient shopping trip during the appraisal, Mm. leaving my white male husband to show the appraiser around alone. Mm. We appraised, oh, this is going to kill me. We appraised $162,000 higher the second time around. The amount of an entire house in some areas. Entire freaking house. (laughs) Thank you to this woman for sharing this story. Yeah. And it seems like she's very ad- a huge advocate for people of like racism and 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 social justice and all these things. Um, she says racism silently but conspicuously steals wealth. Racism wastes time. Racism raises blood pressure. Racism makes me hate myself for my calm acceptance of what I had to do yes. and have always had to do yes. to achieve a fair result. <sighs> That's I write what I mean. this from a place of anguish to sort through my emotions. I want better for my son. That's because it. the fact that I was like, oh, you know what? 
you know, when I do a get appraisal in this house, I'm going to get Catherine to come. You know, Catherine's white. She's super white. Right, I'm your gonna, white friend. You had it all planned out. Uh, the fact that calm acceptance of this is just what you have to do, Tiffany. Don't touch things in the store that you're not going to buy. I can freaking buy this store. Mm-hmm. But don't you touch anything because you just want any trouble. You know, like accept poor behavior. Accept. I, I just... That's the part that is so, like I said, it's like that abuse of, this is what I mentioned in the, in the, in the race and money rant on IG, my IG um, TV uh, post is where I was just like, it truly is a, an abusive relationship with America that you get punched and hit and hair pulled so often that you've learned to accept the abuse, even though like, you know, it's not right, but you've learned how to manage through the abuse until one day you're out of the shower and you walk by a window and you see your body full of bruises some old, some new, and you're just mm-hmm. like, what the entire hell? And it's times like this that make you say that. And then you you have to, you start to replay all of this abuse that you've, that you've like lived through. And you, you just say like, well, what do I do mm. with this? I'm in this abusive relationship. I don't know where else to go. I know this is wrong. What do I do? And that's why you see some people raging and some people rioted, some people you know, um, protested peacefully, but that's why you see it's because we walk by the the mirror and we're seeing the the bruises old and new, and we know that there are more bruises to come and we've had enough. And it's just like to to your point, Mandy, where I'm even questioning myself, well, Tiffany, are you bugging girl? Cause maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, what's 10, $20,000. I'm sorry. What, what's $10, $20,000. Does anyone else have to say that? You know, the fact that my, my realtor was like, that's your, that's your, your um your homeowner's insurance, your house appraises for about four hundred thousand. Mine is one point two. We pay the same amount in homeowner's insurance. He was shocked. We had the same exact homeowner's insurance company, and I had a woman in my comments say, "Well, as an insurance company, it's because shut up, ma'am. It's not reasonable that my house, which is worth one third his house, should be I should be paying insurance at such a high rate." In comparison, shut the entire hell up. That is wealth lost to my family. From the house being appraised for less, from paying more to homeowner's insurance, to being paid less as a black woman. So you add all those things up, and then you're like, if black people would just only work harder, wouldn't be no wealth gap. Shut the entire hell up. I'm supposed to outwork racism? How? You're right. You're right, Tiffany, and I'm complicit because I kept it moving. Like, your story made me think about some uncomfortable things about my homeowner, my my home purchase and the fact that I purchased her from a black homeowner, a black couple. And I knew they were black because they didn't they did not take down any of the artifacts around the house that let me to I mean they had a black um a black black figurines as their salt and pepper shakers and Uh-oh. pictures of um uh his name is Ed, the for previous homeowner, you know, his uh his pictures from the Vietnam War, his military pictures. I forget if he was in the army or what. Um, but he's a veteran. And I honestly I reacted so warmly to that to those photos and to the fact that we were buying it from a beautiful black couple whose love was so apparent in their home. But not everyone is like that. Uh, I get that. And um, part of me is like, hell yeah, Rosemary Ned, thanks for not hiding your identity. But would they have gotten more offers on the home? Would they, you know, have gotten a, would their house have appraised for more? Because the appraisal came in a little bit lower than what their asking price was. And we took advantage of that and got the house for like, I think it was maybe five or 10K cheaper. But was it because of their race? Because the neighborhood we're in is not majority white. 
because there are, you know, there is a good representation of minorities and because they're very clearly a black couple. If you come into their home and you bother to look around, you can see those signs. Um, yeah. And your story made me a little bit uncomfortable and it, but I, I didn't want to see it. And I think even a black woman like me, I will, it's like you said, we have these moments in our life and sometimes to keep moving, to keep our good mood going, mm -hmm. to just keep, you know, trying to believe that you have possibility in this country, that things can work out for you because you're different, because you're smarter and you're educated, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to hear it. And I, so I'm sorry for even not hearing it, but I acknowledge that. Um, that there is a black tax. There is you know? a black tax, 100%. I'm not, you know? and I'm not uh, immune from it either. No one is. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just, Sometimes it's just because you're just like, you don't want to be the reason why you kind of like, you know, you let it roll because you don't want to be hopeless. You don't want to no. say there's no, because no. then ha what's the alternative? The alternative to say there's nothing I can do about it. I guess life is just harder for me no matter what. Like, what's the alternative? You know, this is why you have, you know, slaves singing spirituals in, in, in cotton fields, because what is the alternative? Do I just lay down and die here or mm -hmm. do I, I hold on to some hope in the future? You know, resilience because, is an act of survival. Yeah. What is Res the purpose? Like, you know, we just, yeah, mm. it's like I said, it's hard. And hope, I mean, well, one of the really useless, th I was reading some of the comments she got and they're like, oh, you should report this to the CFPB or the FTC. I am really tired of people putting the onus on the victim to report certain behaviors. I get how. I mean, I get how people are trying to be helpful, but I think it is upon us to hold our representatives in our states and our local governments and, yes, on Capitol Hill responsible for holding the banks responsible, the lenders, the bad actors, because they have the power. They wrote the the law that enacted institutions like the Federal Trade Commission, like the Consumer Financial Protection, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, let me say the entire name of that organization, which has been systematically detoothed. Is that the word? Like detoothed? Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. No, uh, but ripped, I know what you mean. They're losing ripped their power. apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. I did have a big glass of white wine and no dinner. <laughs> um, just, you know, being transparent. Over the past few years since Trump was elected, they have completely cut the CFPB down at the knees, which was an institution that Elizabeth Warren herself spearheaded um, during the Obama administration. Anyway, like these institutions should be the ones that are fighting for us. And you need to contact your local representatives and tell them your stories because they're the ones who are being paid by our tax dollars, by the way, to defend us. And it is not our job to, it is not our job to, unfortunately, it has become our job to fight and get in the streets and get mad and get loud, but they should be held accountable. And we need to vote with these issues in mind. What are you doing to promote black homeownership and fair lending practices for black and brown homeowners or home purchasers. Like, what are you doing for us? We need to ask these questions and be cognizant of the power that they hold. Honestly, if I was like some tech genius uh, engineer, I would create like some sort of like appraisal gun. We're not mm, going to, you know, like blind appraisal. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Where it's like, you know how like when you go to a store, like if you've ever bought anything for someone who's like, oh, I'm, I'm registered at Target and they give you like the, that, like you, you like, you know, scan all the things that you want to be on your thing. So imagine that you could literally um, scan your home because I've seen this, like when people do virtual tours, it's because they're doing this like scanner thing. You know, you can scan your home, you put all these things in, like how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, all of that, and it just goes into 
a machine and it says this is the appraisal and the machine pulls based upon square footage and this and that it pulls the comps based upon the actual facts not who freaking lives here not the mm-hmm. color of your skin they're like you know your the appraisal gun is taking okay this is many this is how big the house is this is all the things this is what other houses sold for this is how much you know it's like what i do with um fair pay for my for the for my staff right so we have a chart a chart with you know you know what color you are you know what color you are based upon how many responsibilities you have but you also know cuz we tell you your personal color so no one knows your color but everyone knows all the pay they're like oh purple makes between 30 and 60 oh or yeah pink makes between you know 60 and 100 and so you fall within that range based upon your color the color that you are based upon the responsibilities that you hold and basically how long you've been here. And there are bonuses that we give, you know, based upon like, how, you know, your, how well that you do, but it leads. So it's like, you're not wondering, well, is the guy getting paid more? It's like, if he's blue, he's getting paid blue, mm. you know? And, yeah, and you, you tell people, yeah, you make it transparent. And as a yes. business owner, and I myself as a hiring manager have many times said, why are we going to make this person negotiate? Why don't we just give them our best and final? Why do we need to put the onus on them to like what they we have the power. We are the ones with the advantage here. Why are we pretending like it is really important for this person to figure out what they can get from us? Let's just cut the bullshit and mm-hmm. ask people for like give them an offer for what they're worth and be firm in that. Like it, it drives me nuts. That's how I act as a hiring manager. And that is one of the things that I'm really pushing my company to change because I'm like that as a hiring manager, because I know what it's like to be on the other side as a woman of color and to not know anything about what I'm asking for or what I'm worth, because I don't have the friends and family who can tell me and help me out. But I'm unique. I genuinely feel that in the company and uh, people should be trained in how to do that. And we sh- it shouldn't be that hard. And I'm fucking tired uh, I, I saw a, a Twitter thread from one of my writers about a previous job that she had and how she felt like it was her fault for not asking for more. No, it's not. It's mm-hmm. not. It is on us. The people with power should be the ones not abusing it, but using it to create the equality that people deserve. It's on us. I'm, if I see one more <clears throat> article about how women should negotiate better and how women should learn how to ask for X, Y, Z, or how you as a black person can, you know, just... Just, you know, fade yourself a little bit to get a higher salary, you know, hide your LinkedIn picture, you know, mm. hide your Airbnb photo. You'll get a higher mm-hmm. rate for your, like, this is bullshit. It is. Bullshit. But that's what you do. You think I didn't hide my Airbnb photo? Of course I always hide my freaking, I put like an airplane there when I'm looking for a place. Yeah. Like, which is crazy, but it's just like, oh, okay, that's just what you have to do. Like, yeah, so. It can't be that way. It's on companies and it's on us to hold them accountable and. Yes, I'm as tired as anybody holding these companies, just like getting them convinced to do the right damn thing. And we have got to, again, I think it's very important for people like Tiffany, myself, eventually in the future, I imagine myself starting something on my own and to change the way businesses operate and operate from this place from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to just go and learn it later when all of a sudden someone calls us out and we get embarrassed. This has to be the new norm, 100%. You guys got to vote. You got to contact your legislators. They check their email. You got to contact them, call them, ask the questions, share your stories with them. It's not time. Now is the time. Now is the momentum is behind us. We've got to share these stories. And I'm so glad this woman has. I don't know how her story ended, 
But as far as I'm concerned, she has nothing to do. She needs to needs to share her story with her local representatives. Yeah. And like she did on Facebook, it's getting the story out there. Now it's on us who have seen her story to amplify her voice and for people in power to do something about it, not her. She did the right thing. She the did. She got a second opinion. And that is what you can do. That's in your power. Your power as a consumer in this system for the time being is to get second. I mean, unfortunately it costs extra money to get another appraisal, but get multiple appraisals, get multiple loan offers, loan offers, make people negotiate, um, make them compete for your business. That's what you have in your control. Oh, okay. That glass of wine was very, I should have had some dinner before I sat down, but that felt (laughs) good. All right. Thank you so much um, to our listeners who followed up with us. If you have a question that you've answered, that we've answered on the show and you have a follow-up, send us, send them to us. And also you can send us your questions at brownambitionpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on the gram. We are at brownambitionpodcast on Instagram. All right, so now it's time for the good things. It's time for, well, depends. It's time for a boost or break. So you can already tell what I'm just going to do because I've had enough. Are you going to boost or are you going to bake, Mandra? Bake? I know, break. I was hoping it would, you know, it's going to slip on through. but No, it's fair because I did bake the best <laughs> chocolate chip cookies oh my of gosh. my life. I love chocolate chip cookies. Listen, Tiffany, I wish, you know what? <laughs> Can we do like a socially distance, like, you know, cookie exchange? I'll just like, we do a drive by, I'll throw them in your car. Oh my gosh, I would love that. They're so good. But here's my life hack is that I did not bake them all because my Peloton's coming in a few weeks and I'm trying to get ready for her. Okay. But listen, I froze them. I rolled them into balls and I froze them. And then we can just bake a few a day. And I didn't bake 50 cookies, but they're so good. I'm going to send you the recipe. Yes, please. Because honestly, I love chocolate chip cookies. And I have to say, I've been doing intermittent fasting and I've lost like seven pounds, so I'm proud of myself mm. because um, low-key, high-key, a show is coming, and I'm like, sis cannot be dragging that wagon all over wait, the- Wait, you're um, having, wait, a show? The Budget Nisa show is happening? Well, well, when I say you, so many production companies have been in my inbox. Yeah, I know. Um, That's why I'm like, is it finally happening? Yeah, I would say, I mean, when I, well, I'm, I'm speaking into existence when like, I literally there's like, okay, there's one production company that I think I really like more than the others. And so we're really just talking about, okay, what are next steps? Mm. There mm-hmm. are so many trash reality shows on Netflix right now. Netflix has got some money to burn. They better do the Tiffany show. They better <laughs> yeah. do it real quick because the floor is lava is highly entertaining. But like, am I being yes. into as a person? I'm no. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, how did they know my childhood when I saw the floor is lava? Well, you watch, see, you watch TV. Why are you lying? Well, no, no. I saw the, um, like, you know, I saw the little whatever preview when I was like, I was looking at Netflix. I was like, well, I should watch something to make me fall asleep. I can and see I was you, like, Superman and Supergirl, being one of the families who competes. <laughs> A hundred thousand percent. Yes, Tiffany, you need Yo, to. Yo, I would like to. break my teeth and be like, so. People get legitimately hurt and I don't know how they walk out of there. But I just, it's all hard things. I was it's, like, where are the songs? Amazing entertainment. But Netflix clearly has some money to burn if they're making well, this shit. speaking of Netflix, <laughs> Bozema St. John, the new CMO of Netflix, chief marketing officer, my girl Bose. Yes, I yes. follow her on Insta. I'm so, I, I thought she was like, I don't even know what I thought job she had. I thought she was just famous for being fabulous and smart. And then she got a job at, at Netflix. Fabulous. Yeah. Before that, she yeah. was with Endeavor, which is like this big management company. Like they they manage all of, she was a CMO there. They manage all of the, um, all the huge celebrities. And then before mm-hmm. that, she's worked at Uber. She's worked at Apple. 
and Papa John's. I think she consulted. So Bose ain't new to this. She is what? True to this. So that's like my pre, my pre boost. But my real boost is for Sir Kaepernick. Colin, if you're nasty. <laughs> Mr. Kaepernick, if you're nasty. Just yes. Just trying to get the analogy. If you're not familiar with Mr. Kaepernick, um, he is the gentleman that kneeled. All throughout the, um, like, I think it was like 2019 and maybe even 2018, like the N- NFL, um, no, 2018. Mm, I think it was earlier. Yeah, yeah 2018, 2017, 17. yes. Um, during the NFL season. And as a result, lost his ability to play professional football. I mean, he, but he started a whole movement. And he was like, you know what? You know who doesn't care? Not me. Not that he didn't care because he loves football, but he was like, this means more. He was kneeling to protest police brutality against black people. And they turned into this whole disrespect of the flag and other BS mm-hmm. that it wasn't, but as racists are apt to do. Since then, uh, the NFL admitted like we were wrong because, you know, Black Lives Matter right now is cute. So, you know, they want to get in line with the Several kidness. years later, I will say, people, After, people yes. excommunicated Colin. He was yes. blacklisted, like literally. Yes. He lost his spot on his team. Mm-hmm. He was blue balled. What are you, blue balled? No, Black that's balls. not the expression. Black balled. <laughs> this is a bad analogy. He was <laughs> He was he locked was out. Up. Yes. Yes. No one wanted him. He was toxic. No one wanted to touch him. Yes. Four, but three to four years later, now he's having the last laugh. What? What I tell you, what I loved about Colin is despite all that, he was unwavering in his say what you want. Black people need to be heard. And so um, so he just posted, I'm excited to announce this historic partnership with Disney across all of its platforms to elevate black and brown directors, creators, storytellers, and producers, and to inspire the youth with compelling and authentic perspectives. I look forward to sharing the docu-series on my life story, in addition to so many other cultural impactful projects we're developing. So he has a development deal with Disney to develop black and, black and brown stories, which I'm just like... What? So this is what I posted underneath, you know. I said, this is the literal manifestation of they tried to bury you, but didn't realize you were a seed. Grow king. Continue to bear fruit and bring nourishment back to your people. Okay. So, yeah, he's all the things. And I just, yeah, I just, you know. It's, well, here's the thing. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes you stand mm-hmm. up for what is right and, you know, you there are no flowers. There are no Disney deals for you. And obviously he he's not doing it for that because how can you anticipate that was going to happen? But, you know, that if you can make someone else's life better, um, but he sacrificed so much. And so I just love that this is happening and he's been donating money. I just, he has stayed so true in the face of adversity. I honestly... He's goals. Okay, he's goals. Yeah, and I also saw that Ava DuVernay is doing a Netflix series based on his life, based mm-hmm. on his high school years, I think. So okay. he's really having his moment in the sun. In the sun, And I got to do a shout out for Ava DuVernay because she has always been true to telling black stories. And I hope that she's also, I mean, she's, she is leaning in and she her voice sounds so hoarse on, on social media when I hear her speak now because she has never put down the megaphone. Never, not once has she not used her platform to amplify important voices of color. And I I love her so much. And the fact that they're teaming up together is just beautiful. Love it. And shout out to Disney, I guess. They're trying to make things right. Because, you know, for a long time, they did not amplify Mm. our voices Mm. whatsoever. I know. Like the only black Disney princess, her prince is a frog. But what else? They have a lot, but yeah. I heard that they're doing a, uh, yeah, that's right. Prince and the Frog was, Princess and the Frog was the only black Disney princess, right? I mean, there hasn't been one since, which is mm-hmm. pretty sad. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they put my man Sterling K. Brown in Frozen, but that was very that was after the first one did really well, mm-hmm. um, which is you know we got they have work to do like every other company does. <laughs> yes. <okay? laughs> Let me do my uh, what was I gonna do again? I forget. Oh, my boost. Yes, a quick boost. Finally, I, I've been wait. I haven't forgotten about you, Amy Cooper. Um, I, I don't think America has either. Thankfully, I was a little concerned because George Floyd happened soon after Amy Cooper. Not that there are, obviously no one's life was taken, but Amy Cooper, she's the woman who called the police on a black man in Central Park because he had the audacity to ask her to put a leash on her dog, which is the rule in the park that she was waltzing her behind through with her dog. And she took great offense to the fact that someone called her out and so much so that she called 911 and threatened him very, she didn't threaten him with a gun or with a knife or with an actual weapon. She threatened him with his own race. She said, I'm going to call the police and tell them there's a black man threatening me because she knew the power of her words. I don't care what statement she put out afterwards. She knew that using his race against him was a weapon and she knew exactly what she was doing. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, she lost her job very soon after um, this this news broke. She unfortunately, you know, made the mistake of talking to a man who was very renowned in his field, not that he needed to be at all, but he had a lot of people come out in support of him and she, you know, had her comeuppance. But what mattered to me most was, is what she did illegal and has she been held accountable? And it just came through today, I think, or yesterday that she's been charged officially with filing a false report with law enforcement, which is like, why did it take all this time? I don't know. It was pretty clear it was a false report. But thank goodness, because this is the accountability that we need. Um, And it's something small, very small that has happened. That is the right thing. Um, There are obviously bigger things that we're still waiting for. We're still waiting for accountability for the police who killed Breonna Taylor, murdered, murdered needlessly Breonna Taylor in her home. They still haven't arrested those those killers, nor have they arrested the people who killed the cops who killed Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta and so many more. Um, But it was one uh, one little piece of positive news we read today. And what a small win. Also, what it does is that it shows people that there are consequences because I saw a woman who had done something. Yes. She cut off a, a gentleman and p- he pulled over and she called him, I guess, like the N-word when she got him off and some other things. So anyway, he gets out and he says, you know, you almost like, you know, almost crashed. So he's taping her, you know, because like, you almost crashed me. And then you call me the N-word and she starts to scream and cry and says, I'm not a Karen. I'm oh, not God. a Karen. <laughs> And he's That's like, Karen ma'am, I just want you, I forget, whatever it was, he wanted to exchange, um, uh, I think she's something, I think he wanted to just exchange um, insurance cards or something like that. But so anyway, so people are walking up and of course, because she's weaponizing her tears, mm-hmm. they're like, what are you doing? Leave her alone. He's like, I, I don't, I don't know if she hit him or clipped him. He's like, I just want her, like, I am allowed to ask for her insurance card or whatever he wanted. And she's like, he called me the N-word. I'm recording because I don't want it to come out that I did something to her and I did not. So she is boohooing and screaming. But I'm like, I bet you weren't screaming when you were calling this man the N-word and cutting him off. Um, And so it just was hilarious because she was very well aware of, yikes, if this hits the interwebs, this might be the end. So you're on notice, ma'ams and missus. So watch your mouth, watch your face because yes, you know, although black people or don't, because let's just get all the dirt out from under the rug <laughs> yes. of America. Like, just really feel comfortable in this Trump America, saying yes. how you so feel you about be, black people, so we can get you caught it out. Get you out. Speaking of which, like you know, I try to do my IG of the of the of the. Well, not try. This is only been like the third, third, fourth. The third time. time's a charm. I love this new segment that we're this right. little mini segment. Yes. <laughs> so it's called gossip. 
of the city. So I think it used to be originally like a gossip site, but then they started taping. You know, we have all these Karen and Wild videos and or Karen in the wild or Karen Instagrams. And Mandy and I were both like, ah, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Because sometimes it's like unrequited. You watch it and you're like, okay, so they did this terrible thing and now we know. So now, now what? What I like about Gossip of the City is that it pivoted its account and now it posts the video, asks for help finding this person, and then shares that person with the authorities for them to either be arrested or shares them with their job. And then post updates like, hey, this person was arrested for threatening this person or this person was let go for these racial slurs. So it's of all those types of sites, of all those types of IG accounts, gossip of the city, it feels like there's a sense of closure there. And they've even started like a Facebook like page where it's like, you know, help stop racism where you can basically report in and crowdsource help. Like, hey, this person did this to me. I'm showing you the proof. And then they crowdsource help. Like, you know, because sometimes, you know, nobody wants to do anything. But then, you know, 22,000 people see it. The New York Times does a story. And all of a sudden the police are like, oh, yeah, that's illegal. Oh, you think? So I just, yeah. So I like, I like thus far, you know, a friend of mine, I was actually getting my hair retightened the other day. Um, because it'd been months and months and months. And so I, I was telling my um the my friend Katab who does it, he was telling me about the site. He told me that's why he liked it. He said, because the other ones just kind of made him feel bad. And he was like, But this one, it feels like one, I can help in case I recognize someone. And two, we get an update of like, hey, thank you guys so much for the help. There's been something, something has happened as a result. So I'm like, yay. So gossip of the city. Get you some city on IG, right? Mm-hmm. Love it. If you're not a fan following Mandra and I, what are you doing? Mandy, money, Mandy with an I. Thank you very much. Thank you for and just, you know what? That's a true friend. <laughs> One who remembers my name is spelled with an I. <laughs> yes. Yes. Follow us on IG. I'm the Budgetista, Mandy with an I, and Brown Ambition Podcast, right? It's not the, on, on um, it's just Brown Ambition Podcast or pod. Which one is it? I genuinely don't remember. <laughs> I'm malnourished and I have low blood sugar. I don't remember. <laughs> I'm going to find it really quickly because I do want us for you guys to follow. Because I love when you guys follow us and like. I think it's yeah. just at Brown and Bishop Podcast. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You I should know because I'm on all the time. I, I'm like, just, I'm like, yeah, I should know. Yeah, Brown Ambition Podcast. So you can't, you can't, you can't get it wrong. So mm-hmm. I expect um, an uptick. Right now we're at 4,289. Four Mark that number. Uh, so I expect to see an uptick. So, you know. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> that accountability. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Well, I heard we're still being featured on Spotify's Bad Black section. Uh, I still get little alerts from friends, texts and stuff. So thank y'all, Spotify, for for amplifying us. We're about to hit five years. So this is a beautiful, um, a beautiful and long overdue. Is that too prom- uh, presumptuous of me to say? Long overdue recognition. Um, <laughs> no. Love it. Well, thank thank y'all so much for listening to another episode of Brown Ambition. Hit us up, like Tiffany said, on Instagram, Brown Ambition Podcast. Email brownambitionpodcast at gmail.com. That and also on Facebook. If you're not, you know, tired of it like everyone else is right now, <laughs> hit us up on Facebook. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. 
the purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets Podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.